Talks on the web at mainboats.com. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Wabanaki Windows with your host Donna Loring is up next. Welcome to Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Wabanaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Wabanaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today, we will discuss the Wabanaki Truth and Reconciliation Commission and how they have progressed since we last spoke to them on October 16th of 2012. We have uh, Esther Adian who will bring us up to date on what's happening currently. And then we have a special guest, uh, Bennett Collins, who is a research assistant uh, at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And he's writing uh, an academic paper on the Wabanaki uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So we have lots to talk about this morning. Um, And let's start with Esther. Uh, Esther, uh, first of all, I want to see if you're there. Good morning. Uh, And uh, could you bring us uh, up to date on the TRC in Maine? How's that coming along? Has some things changed? Um, Well, as folks may know, the commission was officially seated in February of this year. The five commissioners um, were chosen by a panel of 13 tribal and state representatives, and the commissioners are... Dr. Gail Warbach, who's the director of the School of Social Work at the University of Maine, Orono. Uh, Matthew Dunlap of Old Town, who is also the Secretary of State. Carol Wishcamper from Freeport, Maine, a longtime educator. <clears throat> Gizitanamuk, who is a Wampanoag um, <clears throat> Native man, who is also a professor of Native Studies at the University of Maine, Orono. And the only out-of-state commissioner is Sandra Whitehawk, who is the she directs the First Nations Repatriation Institute and is an adoptee from the uh, Indian Adoption Project uh, that was between the BIA and the Child Welfare League of America. Since the commission has been seated, they have been working pretty intensely to set up their staff and their offices. They have offices in downtown Ellsworth. They've hired an executive director, Heather Martin. They've also hired a project support specialist, Maureen Harris. And just this week, Rachel George, a First Nations woman from Vancouver, is the research coordinator. Now, <laughs> Esther, um, uh, before you go on, do you yeah. have your radio on or, no, I don't. or your computer? Um, no. Okay, we're picking up some static in the background. Just trying to figure out where that's coming from. Well, I'm in I'm in Zabayik, so <laughs> I'm far away. Okay, so that's... it's not you. Okay, so continue. Okay, so they've been working rather intensely. They've had quite um, an orientation period. Members of the TRC convening group, which is now called Maine Wabanaki Reach, have been helping orient the commissioners. Maine Wabanaki Reach works to uh, serve as the advisory group to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and we also work to prepare the tribal and state communities for the TRC process. The commission has established a bit of a time frame. Um, As we know, their mandate is a 27- to 33-month mandate 
which began when they were seated. So they have that time period to do their investigation, and they have a listening session tentatively scheduled for the fall, um, and they're going to start in the tribal community here at Zabayag, where I am uh, visiting my family. And the commission will also host several public events that, that will be open to the public where folks will give testimony. So they have been, the commission has been very busy. We have Maine Wabanaki Reach. Um, we have several Wabanaki community organizers that are working in the tribal communities to help educate tribal folks about the TRC. And we're starting to set up peace and healing circles to give um, tribal people an opportunity to come and start sharing their stories prior to the commission coming into the community. We have been working closely with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, especially around, um, we have several subcommittees, and <clears throat> the archiving subcommittee and the development or fundraising subcommittee are, are joint subcommittees between the TRC and REACH. So we've been working pretty diligently trying to fund all of the work that needs to happen. I don't know if folks knew when the tribal chiefs and the governor of Maine signed the mandate, um, there was no funding attached to that. They, they did not promise any financial support to the TRC or to REACH, so we are uh, responsible for raising our own funds. Esther, what does, uh, is there, does REACH, does the letters mean something? Yes, yeah. REACH means reconciliation, engagement, advocacy, change, and healing. Okay. And what happened was the the members of the we were the TRC convening group uh, that that conceptualized and established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and we we quickly realized that our mission and purpose and vision was larger than just seating the commission. So we took a few months to to reflect on that and figure out where we were going and what our purpose was, and we will be also the group that will see those recommendations through that the commission makes uh, at the end of their mandate. So you're sort of like a, a parallel group with the, with the commission? Well, we work together um, towards truth, healing, and change, although the commission is an independent, autonomous body. <coughs> um, they cannot do their work without REACH. Uh, REACH is responsible for ensuring that there are visible and adequate supports available to support people through the truth and reconciliation process. And within the mandate, the, um, the TRC is seen as guests in these sovereign uh, tribal communities, and they will come into the tribal communities when the communities are ready in a manner that is um, acceptable to the community. So that's REACH's role is to, to broker that relationship. So you're you're within you're working within the communities and you're sort of like the connector between the communities and the commission group. Yes. Yeah. And we're also able to you know as advisory to the TRC we're we're um, in a position to be able to uh, help give them pushback if they need it um, if that if that's needed but it hasn't been yet. The, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the commissioners and staff have been very, um, very open to <clears throat> the what we've had to share as far as uh, orient the orientation.
of the commissioners and helping them understand the realities of our communities and how important this work is to to our people. And uh, you, you've uh, gotten a new office, I understand. Yes, the, the commission actually uh, established offices in um, downtown Ellsworth on Main Street. I can't remember the, the number of the street, but it's right above the flower shop called the Bud Connection. And uh, Heather Martin is there along with Maureen Harris. And there's a, two student interns, I believe. And then Rachel George, the research coordinator, is, will be there this week. We often hold meetings that the um, joint subcommittees, we, we may hold meetings at the, the offices, but REACH does not have, REACH doesn't have a, a central location or a central office. We all work remotely. Okay. Um, now, is there anything more you wanted to tell me about the uh, the um, REACH or uh, the, the, the job of the commission? Um, just everything has been happening very quickly. We've been working very hard uh, to secure the funding necessary. I believe I may, I'm so bad with numbers, and I may be mistaken, but I believe we've raised about two-thirds of the funding that both the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and Maine Wabanaki Reach need to do the work for the first year. So development is always an ongoing task. We've been reaching out to <coughs> foundations and, and um, writing grants. You know, we've written grants as low as $750 all the way up to $75,000 to, mm -hmm. to support this work. Sounds like you've been busy writing. Yes, we have. Um, but uh, speaking of writing now, uh, this other guest that we have, uh, Bennett Collins, I, I became aware of him through your email to me. So tell me how you uh, connected with Bennett, how that happened. Bennett actually reached out to um, the, the communication subcommittee of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission prior to seating of the commission was made up of a, we have a lot of volunteers, um, folks from, from REACH sit on that committee and we have just ordinary Mainers that have volunteered their time to help. And one of those volunteers, Arla Patch, um, Bennett reached out to her. <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure what caused him to do that and hopefully he can explain, but he was very interested in the truth and reconciliation process here as many folks may know that it's the first in the world to be conceived this way between ind an indigenous people and a, a state government. It's the first one um, official truth commission in the United States to deal with native child welfare issues. And Bennett, as a scholar in uh, St. Andrews University, was very interested. And he reached out to Arla and he actually wrote uh, an article, two parts to a pretty comprehensive article about the work we were doing. And his um, professors were very excited about this work, and he's decided to um, do some further research and hopefully present this work at a International Studies Association conference next year in Toronto. Right. So Bennett has made further contact with us, and he's, he'll be here this week, as you know, and he'll be meeting with members of the TRC and their staff. He'll be meeting with REACH members um, <clears throat> and other folks who have... Uh, a story to tell about the uh, how the TRC was created here in Maine, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping he will follow it through for the whole time that the the commission is doing their work. Right. Okay. So, 
Um, now, uh, Bennett, I just want to check to see if you're online. Yep, still here. Okay. Good morning. Now, before I start talking to you, <laughs> I want to say something about the, the University of St. Andrews. Um, I did some little bit of research, as usually I try to do. And I find that the uh, St. Andrews University, the University of St. Andrews is a, uh, it's a research university uh, in, uh, in Scotland. And it's the oldest university in Scotland and the third oldest in the English-speaking world next to Oxford University and Cambridge University. Um, and it was founded between 1410 and 1413 uh, by a uh, papal bull, which was issued by uh, Benedict the uh, Thirteenth. The uh, some interesting things about uh, the University of St Andrews is uh, it's associated with five Nobel laureates, two Nobel Prize uh, in chemistry, and one Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine, one Nobel Peace Prize, and one Nobel. Uh, prize in literature. The uh, university has a strong historical link to the United States, and I'm sure you know all this, uh, Bennett, but I'm just filling the listening audience in. Uh, as several prominent Scottish Americans have been associated with St. Andrews, uh, most notably Andrew Carnegie, uh, who was elected rector and whose name is given to the Carney, Carnegie Scholarship. And uh, there were three signatories of the Declaration of Independence who attended or received degrees from St. Andrews. Uh, those were James Wilson, John Witherspoon, and Ben Franklin. So with that, um, I'm going to say that uh, Bennett uh, is a research assistant at the University of St. Andrews and is working with Professor Allison Watson and Professor... Uh, it's uh, Siobhan, is that correct? Siobhan yeah, McCoy-Levy. They're preparing a paper to be presented at the International Studies Association Conference in Toronto next year about the truth and reconciliation process. Um, so, now Bennett, <laughs> you can tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, tell us, you know, sort of like introduce yourself, who, you know, who you are, how you... Uh, came to uh, go to St. Andrews and, uh, you know, just a little yeah. bit of foundation. Sure, uh, it's always a little difficult to talk about yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I am a graduate of St. Andrews University. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'm just getting prepped to go for my master's at Oxford University. Um, my background is mostly um, looking at particularly Central Africa and being even more specific and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that's where my activism and work has kind of always led me. Um, specifically in my past, I, I worked with the African Center for Justice and Peace Studies in Kampala. Um, and I was there during South Sudan's partition. Um, and it's a mostly Sudanese-based organization. So uh, I, I got to see a country basically being made um, during, during my time working there. Um, I, I worked with the Auschwitz Institute for Peace and Reconciliation um, along with the UN office, uh, the special advisors for the prevention of genocide, um, which was a pretty incredible experience and 
gave me a great um, eye into the whole liberal framework that the UN is working in and how NGOs kind of cooperate with with the United Nations on that level. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I suppose I'm an Africanist by training, um, and that's what I'll be going to Oxford for. Um, and I suppose just coming to the TRC in Maine, um, my entire background with Africa has led me to study truth and reconciliation processes and the kind of um, neoliberal frameworks um, and and the post-liberal peace and, and, and how we define peace today and how reconciliation is becoming a, a more vital part to, to, to peace processes. Um, and the fact that a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission on a state level um, is happening in the U.S. Um, is, is unprecedented to, to me and a lot of academics that I've told it, told it to. So. Yeah, you know, I was sort of, uh, I was looking at your, uh, your, your CV, and there's there's a lot of um, of experience that you have in in the study of uh, of, of genocide. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, in in you know different cultures. So I I wonder what sort of uh, uh, parallels you see between the uh, the 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 you know cultures and the native culture in particular as far as the uh, genocide pieces go. Um. Well, I. I'd say my background in genocide studies has has kind of um, pushed me to to look at reconciliation. Um, it's very easy to kind of get caught up in into the the multiple definitions there are on genocide. I mean, there are over fifty widely accepted definitions, and uh, I suppose the UN is the most famous. Um, and it's it's quite easy to get caught up in in the theoretical debate over what is genocide. But I'm more interested in we kind of know the general concept of what is genocide. It's how do we reconstruct a society afterwards and how, how do we rebuild and uh, the long-lasting impacts that that the act of, of mass killing can have on a, on a country re- almost regardless of intent. Um, and so I, I see reconciliation as, as kind of rebuilding as a society so a, so a country can go forward and... I suppose the TRC in this case, I'm very interested in because this is, I, I, I'm not sure of intent because I haven't done the problem, well, the research needed, but um, you, you can kind of see the, the links to genocide that, that, that occurred when, when child welfare services took away Native children and placed them with white children. That is essentially, you know, t- uh, taking away a culture. And Raphael Lampkin, who coined the term genocide, that, that was his main concern, is taking the culture away from this world, taking the people away from this world, and essentially um, eliminating it. And you see that process happening. So this automatically drew me to this case. Yeah, so there are a lot of uh, comparisons. Uh, in, in, uh, I understand Lemke's definitions... Uh, were were pretty wide. Um, I mean, and they they didn't all include uh, killing people. You know, right. it included you know de- destroying their language and their culture and and removing uh, children from their families. So, right, uh, that was his original 
uh, definition. Right. So, you know, and a lot of times I find, and, and it's what kind of makes me curious about your, your study, is that a lot of times uh, people will say, well, you know, Native Americans, uh, there's no genocide there. Uh, I'd say that's very incorrect. <laughs> would you now? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. <laughs> and, uh, and, and tell me why would you say that? Um, well, uh, well, like I said, I mean, I'm not going to get into a debate over the definition of genocide, but there's obviously been a removal of numerous peoples in, in kind of the, the entire colonial up to neo-colonial history that the United States has. Um, and to not call it genocide is to completely disrespect the history. And uh, it's something that I think that we as an American people need to begin recognizing um, much more. And the, the, this TRC, I think, may need to go a step further and begin calling it possibly by, by its proper name. And, and, and um, uh, you know, if it, if it wants to educate more like the non-Native public, um, I, I think it would do a great service to Americans to, to say that, you know, it's not against it's not against the american way to 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 heal and and to apologize and 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 to want to help each other out and and, and to recognize a past that is severely flawed <laughs> so um yeah it's, it's one of the most important aspects i see about the trc yeah i mean don't you uh, think that it's important for people to understand uh, the past and what happened historically, um, you know, sort of uh, they need to know that before they can uh, move on to find a solution? Uh, absolutely. And I, I don't know why the United States thinks that it's an exception to this case, because the thing is, is that the U.S. government promotes reconciliation abroad in, in you know, the countries I study in Africa um, and the countries I'm looking at there. Um, we expect Liberia to go through reconciliation and transitional justice and, and for its people to, to see reparations for the killings that happened to them. We expect South Africa to do it. We expect Congo to do it. We expect Rwanda to do it, and, and we'll, we'll support them financially and, and whatnot. But when it comes to back home, why are we perfect? Why, why haven't we started anything like this? Why? It's a good question. Know, why, yeah. Why haven't we started transitional justice processes for the numerous people that we've wronged, range from Native Americans to to Japanese in internment camps to, you know, Spanish speakers out in California that were, you know, had th- shoes thrown at them when they spoke Spanish. It's uh, Every group has quite a bad past in the U.S. that's not white and uh, white Protestant, you know, et cetera. Yeah, I was noticing in your... Uh the article that you wrote in the in the mantle you you mentioned uh, just that specific thing and you right. you know you talk about the the uh, the internment camps for japanese americans and and uh, the french speakers of uh, louisiana right um, yeah i mean that's that that's a that's a good uh, good question you know they they have all of these things that they've done to reconcile those those uh Events and uh, there's nothing for for native uh, for native events. Exactly. So, 
And, and do you have any sort of um, thought about why that is? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I, have a, I have a couple of thoughts, but uh, they, they, they may come across as naive, uh, possibly just because I haven't, haven't looked into it further. But I, I do think the U.S. does have a huge um, inferiority, inferiority complex that if it, if it begins to look into its past and says sorry that for some reason that our allies and or, or on an international level, we'll, we'll begin to think less of ourselves, and um, and that it will kind of ruin the stigma of to be an American is kind of is to be the best nationality on earth. But to that point, uh, because I I have heard that argument before, um, saying that healing is for the weak, and the thing is, I I think actually healing is for the strong, um, for people that can actually understand it, their flaws, and to be educated enough to know that. Um, Although I'm not personally re- responsible for for ha- having done what happened during the Indian Adoption Project, I nonetheless recognize that because I am white, and uh, that that unfortunately, you know, there there's baggage to hold along with that, and that um, you know people say that's unfair, but then I, I've lived in Germany, I've worked in Germany. And German children are taught to say, uh, taught to taught to basically be apologetic for what happened in their past. You know that may not seem fair to them, but they recognize that that's the baggage that they have to hold for their past. And the fact that Americans aren't recognizing that, I'm actually quite concerned that the fact that we're not apologetic as a culture is is. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that shows a very very much a lack of unity when it comes to embracing our own cultures within our country. Now, do you think that this, uh, this lack of, of uh, historic recognition um, has influence, is, you know, when it comes to, like, foreign policy? Does it carry over into that? Um, in, in terms of foreign policy, um, I, 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 would, I would definitely say so. I mean... You look at the settler nations, um, and by settler nations, I'm referring to New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and the U.S. Um, and you look at the, the U.N. Declaration on Indigenous Rights that was drafted, and there are the four signatories that, that are missing, uh, are those four countries. Um, and, you know, they all have their excuses uh, as to why they should not sign it. Um, but ultimately, I, I think... Even even up to New Zealand, that that those four countries aren't doing enough um, in terms of reparations, in terms of reconciliation, in terms of of helping the the indigenous com- communities that that did exist on those countries before the settlers came in, um, and so uh, on that level, uh, yeah, I, I would say that the U.S. isn't doing enough. But, um, and so that does affect its foreign policy. Hmm. You know, I've often wondered that uh, if if the United States as a whole uh, recognized the uh, the genocide that they inflicted on Native people, uh, and you know, told the the truth in their educational system, and people were, were aware of that if that in fact may have changed their uh, policies in in the Middle East. Or in Africa. 
you know, um, I suppose we're getting into the hypothetical, but we are. <laughs> would 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 it would it change our policies over there? You know, I I, I have a feeling it would. Um, uh, just just kind of showing showing respect to um, basically to, to all to all levels of society. Um, so I, I I really can't be certain. Um, perhaps if we actually pioneered our own processes of reconciliation and transitional justice, we would actually know what to fund instead of just throwing money at a lot of transitional processes yeah, yeah, um, and reconciliation processes and expecting the money to go somewhere and help it work. I mean, you saw with the Liberian TRC that um, although although there was efforts, uh, you know, it, it was quite groundbreaking that Americans helped in the TRC, but that was on a very grassroots level in terms of getting the Liberian diaspora engaged in a truth and reconciliation process for the first time ever that a diaspora was was involved in it. But um, the thing was is that the, the Liberian TRC, its, its recommendations are, are still ignored to this very day, even though they were published in, uh, I think, 2000, 2009. Um, and so, and that was you know, it received a lot of funding from from the U.S. and and so you can kind of see, mm. you know, how, how reconciliation isn't really a priority. Um, yeah, you know, really. it's it's kind of yeah. like pointing your finger at well, you know, this country over here isn't doing things right, and you know, when you in fact are as guilty as the other country is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why, which is why I I, I feel. You know, for example, Canada putting their their TRC on a federal level, um, but the the critique I have is, of that is is how are ordinary Canadians engaged in it, um, and is it for solely the benefits uh, of First Nations in Canada? Um, because I, I I feel if a TRC doesn't actually engage with with non natives. How how is that going to affect the country to to the point where it will impact its foreign policy, um, which is yeah, which is, which is I what I'm interested in in, in seeing whether um, the Wabanaki TRC could be um, duplicated in other states in the U.S. Mm. Well, you know, I think probably some of the things that the uh, Wabanaki TRC um, is doing that may be a bit different has to do with uh, uh, bringing in allies, allies that are not, uh, not native and working right. with those, uh, those groups. I think there's a key there, you know, to bring in the non-native uh, Absolutely. organizations and groups to, you know, and for some reason, I'm just going to throw this out. Um, in my past experience uh, in the legislature and, uh, and in, in other situations, it seems that when a native person speaks, they're not listened to as closely and as uh, and as well as a non-native. And that's unfortunate, but I find that to be uh, true in certain cases. Right. Um, I don't know if 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 you've 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 seen that or in any of your experiences. Well, I suppose. I mean, this this project. Um, is is kind of a first for the three of us um, who are working uh, 
who are, you know, the three of us who are working together. Um, Siobhan McAvoy-Lavy, um, her, her specialty is in Northern Ireland and, and reconciliation there, and also looking at, you know, Middle East as well. Um, but her, her background between, you know, the division between Catholics and Protestants right. is, uh, and uh, Ali Watson's background, looking at the rights of the child in, in kind of context of, a, of uh, Africa and the Middle East, I mean, and and my background in Africa, I, I suppose the three of us are are more more knowledgeable about Africa as opposed to indigenous rights in the U.S. It seems uh, like there's a synergy there, though. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, is that the three of us are keenly aware then that uh, that uh, of of kind of Western countries' tendency to to overlook the voice of 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 quote unquote the African mm-hmm. um, and. You know, I, I just hosted a conference at St. Andrews this past year, and the thing is, is that what a, what a turnaround it's been probably in a few years that actually I think m- more people were engaged when um, someone from the Congo was speaking that than than basically kind of just another white person um, talking, to, thinking what they know about Africa, um, and I and you know I'd hope that we get to that point where when we're talking about Native American issues, that the Native, um, that, that the native is actually the, the, the key voice in the room as opposed to everyone else who, who thinks that they can speak on behalf of. Because um, there's that whole power play over, um, you know, the you know, white savior complex. Um, and, and, you know, speaking on behalf of others, which I'm not a fan of, I'm I'm more I'm more uh, keen to amplify the voice as opposed to speak for it, uh, so that you know it would be interesting once I go to Maine actually tomorrow mm-hmm. and 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 begin engaging with it, with it all. Yeah, you know, and I I, I think that uh, that's that's a good point you made about amplifying the voice instead of speaking for it. Um, because a lot of that's the lesson I think that uh, that Don needed people or our allies really need to understand. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and th- there is a synergy between um, Ireland and um, I, don't, I don't know about Africa, but you know, when you look, look at the residential school experience in Ireland and you compare it to the native experience in this country with the residential schools, very, very much the same. Right. So so maybe there are some some threads there that uh, that sort of connect all of those pieces. Well, I suppose the well, I spoke to I spoke to a, a, a friend who worked at the National Post in Canada, and who who's been closely involved in the TRC up there, and they've been looking at the the Ireland reconciliation model um, pretty uh, a lot during the entire TRC process. And so it, it seems to me that they, they've seen, they've been able to draw a lot of similarities between between the two um, experiences, which has just been interesting because I, I've never actually considered Ireland um, as kind of, uh, you know, a, a key reconciliation process because mostly haven't looked at it. <laughs> it's, well, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. Um, Esther, are you there? Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Uh, do you have any comments uh, uh, about our conversation that we're having here? Or? Yes, I do. Okay. I when I 
could interject. All right. Um, when Bennett was talking about the reluctance of America to to reconcile, I, I had several thoughts um, early on in this process when we were just having early conversations about you know whether or not we should do this. And the TRC convening group was a mixed group of Native and, and non-Native people, and the the process of um, I, I like to say it's it's more of a process of decolonization and this process of truth and reconciliation that this group went through that. Um, and in the beginning, it was it what we what I saw was that the white folks really wanted the reconciliation without the truth, and the native people we wanted the truth, and we were really not as concerned with reconciliation. But we did a lot of work together. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult work to do. Um, and when Bennett talked about the baggage that Americans have, um, it's not just recognizing what ancestors did, it's recognizing how white people continue to benefit from the fact that we were not supposed to be here. And, you know, when we talk about debating whether or not it's genocide, and we were targeted for destruction. We were intended to be wiped out. And Wabanaki people here on, on this side of the country, we have experienced um, these efforts and policies and strategies of genocide and, and um, eradication far longer than some of our some of the tribes in you know on the other parts of the United States. Um, I met this Lakota man, and he was so very gracious. And I had never heard anybody say this before. And he said, "I want to thank you and your people for keeping the colonizers at bay for a couple hundred years." He said, "We owe you everything." <clears throat> so it's what I have found in working on on this project. Um, you know, back in 1999 when we first got together to train state caseworkers, and then in 2008 when we had a concerted, focused effort to conceive and and establish a TRC. The it, white people are afraid. There's a lot of fear, and and I've met so many. Um, you know, had these conversations with so many white people. First of all, acknowledging their whiteness that that's really scary for people and then acknowledging what their ancestors have done and then the you know acknowledging how they continue to benefit from it you know that we took um, a group of kids I, I was a chaperone on a kayak trip for native children off the coast of Bar Harbor and uh, your niece Rebecca Donna your niece Rebecca Stockbeeson was chaperoning too and the guide was saying this is, you know, she's given the whole history of the coastline, and Maine has the most beautiful coastline, and so many percent of it, 90-something percent of it, is privately owned, and, you know, how wonderful that is. And Rebecca said, you know, you, we need to know that this coastline, this coastline of Maine and this beautiful property came at a price for Wabanaki people because mm-hmm. land was doled out to white, white settlers based on the number of Native people that they killed. And that, you know, as, as educated and as I thought I was, that, that really blew my mind. To think of it in those real, real terms of what it meant, um, you know, a 97% population depletion for our people since first contact. And white people, that it's, it's really hard for them to acknowledge that, and it's hard for them to um, take ownership of that. But until we do that, and until Native people, you know, we have, we've internalized a lot of this oppression. You know, Donna, when you were talking about how, um, you know, when a white person says something, it's valued more, that mm-hmm. happens in our own communities. 
uh, Heather Martin, the director of the TRC, she's a white woman, and her and I have done um, presentations together quite frequently since she was hired. And one of the presentations we did was to a mixed group of Native and non-Native people, and it was so painfully apparent um, when I was speaking, the white people were listening to me, and when she was speaking, the Native people were listening to her. And these things that happen in these dynamics of oppression and internalized oppression, they don't go unnoticed and they don't go unprocessed. You know, we, we do a lot of hard work in having these conversations with each other and being very transparent and um, in all of the work that we do, real forthright, and it's not easy. So it does not surprise me that uh, white America wants just to gloss over everything and see how wonderful they're doing in other countries and not pay attention to Native people and keep us invisible. Because to recognize what happened and what continues to happen and how they benefit from it is it just it will disrupt their entire lives the very territory they walk on every day came at a price you know that wabanaki people have to pay for and it's it's scary for them and it's very hard um and i have so much respect and admiration and love for those white people that are able to do that and and not only um recognize it but work to try to use their privilege that they have their unearned privilege to try to help uh, turn this around. Yeah, and I, you know, when I work with a group of those kind of allies, and they're called the Portagers, and uh, you know, I I think it's probably one of the one of the best and most important uh, groups that I've ever worked with, and uh, they they're actually uh, was strange in the fact that. They really and truly are, were interested in learning more about their white privilege. You know, they didn't want to ignore it. They wanted to find out more about it. Uh, and then they worked. They, they've done some really good work, and they're still working with, uh, with uh, the TRC and the communications efforts. And you'll be meeting them uh, tomorrow, Bennett, as you know. Uh, any comments, Bennett? Oh, I, I just want to say I agree with everything that Esther said. Um, I mean, th- I think that's where where white people do do fit in in this entire dynamic is is recognizing the privilege that really n- none of us really recognize. <laughs> I, I, I suppose on on you know in in probably all the settler countries. Um, I mean, pre- maybe perhaps New Zealand, just because of the. And their their society is based on on the duality of living Maori and white people side by side, um, but in the U.S., I mean, even incorporating it to to new immigrants who arrive here, um, saying that I I mean I, I I yearn for the day that that on immigration tests they they ask you know what what people were first here, <laughs> and, and you know going into instead of you know what who our founding fathers were you know perhaps looking at the people that were here before them um and dare i say you know bringing bringing in native history into into u.s history rooms instead of uh classrooms instead of just uh learning what 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 basically white people did from you know the 1600s onward yeah um, you know I, I say that uh, the tribes we all had a very bad immigration policy you know we let everyone in. Look at what happened to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, yeah, it's. It, I, you know, I can't wait to get there tomorrow. I can't wait to begin speaking with but, everyone. I yeah, but Bennett, I'm, I'm a bit curious here, though. Um, in in looking at your your CV again, uh, you talk about the, you talked about the uh, the paper, the research paper that uh, you and Chiffon and I don't know who the other person is right offhand here. Uh, uh, Ellie Watson. Yeah, that you're yeah. that you're doing. And how did you? Did you decide to do this? How did you hear about this uh, this uh, Webinac ETRC? Um, really good question. Uh, pretty, uh, I, I suppose short answer is um, I really don't know. Um, basically, it, it was just through Facebook that um, I came across first the Lakota Law Project, who are looking at similar child uh, you know child policies that that still exist to this day in South Dakota um, and from that they they must have reposted something from the Wabanaki TRC and this was back in probably December and I I just you know clicked on the link and I really couldn't believe it when I saw it because I you know looking at truth and reconciliation processes I kept on saying to myself how much I wanted you know how you know, how long will it be until the U.S. actually sees one of these processes on its own soil? Because um, we have a lot of sorries to give. And once I came across it, I, I couldn't let it go. I, I started sending it around to everyone. And um, finally, Ellie, Ellie Watson, who works at St. Andrews, who's uh, chaired as a professor there, um, you know, her background is the rights of a child. And and she immediately gravitated towards it. And then she brought it up at the International Studies Association Conference in San Francisco this past year. And she brought it up in, in her workshop. And she brought, uh, that's how Siobhan got on board. And so it's kind of just spiraled into something bigger and bigger. And now, you know, we have, we kind of have a support team as well behind us who are, who are helping us along the way. And so it's definitely not just the three of us. We kind of have a, a big social justice group at St. Andrews that who are who are just being great throughout the entire thing. So you have um, a support group, huh? From yeah, well, well, by support group, uh, certain professors and and lecturers who who are very interested in the work we're doing, and um, you know, are are kind of making things a bit easier in terms of you know how we're going about the entire process and getting funding so that we can actually, so I can actually travel to Maine and, and meet with people one-on-one. -on -one. It looks like, uh, you know, you're with the uh, the School of uh, International Relations, right? Yeah, yeah. that's correct. Well, so they must have a lot of, uh, a lot of experience in, in researching this sort of, uh, sort of uh, issue, uh, you know, the genocide and... Uh, Probably collective, in terms of collective experience, I, I think the three of us can are, are doing pretty well. Um, you, you know, when one of us is, is, is missing a certain point of view or, or concept, um, the other one can kind of pick up on it. So, what's your? Uh, do you have like a, a, a an, an outline for your for the paper that you're doing, and what are the kind of things you're going to write about in the paper? Um, well, well, we haven't, we have, uh, drafted an abstract, which we've sent around, um, I believe Esther sent it to you as well. Uh, but in, in terms of an outline for the, for the entire research paper, we're, 
we just plan on conducting interviews and um you know the title of our research paper is um constructing the wabanaki trc perceptions and understandings and so we're you know the entire point of, of the 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 paper is is to look at how everyone is perceiving the wabanaki trc and and how they're understanding the process to be during during its initial stages and 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 kind of kind of status report as to how it's doing because another purpose of our paper is um to to kind of uh, in a way document what what's been happening given its unprecedented nature so we we find that to be pretty important um a pretty important aspect to our paper um so but in terms of um you know who will be interviewing we'll be interviewing um, people who work at the Wabanaki TRC, and we've we've just re- received a couple email, a couple more email confirmations from politicians in Maine um, who have agreed to sit down with us and, and to give interviews. And uh, I don't know if I should jinx it and say it on air, but <laughs> no, no, don't it. jinx it. I'll, I'll... okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Then I, then I'll then I'll keep the name quiet um, in terms of who we got finally to give us a interview confirmation um but yeah we we are looking to interview as many people as we can before we present um next next april Mm. yeah i think it's really important that you interview you know both uh, native and allies and and non-allies you know people that are sort of like don't get it It yeah absolutely it might be very interesting to to uh to read about absolutely um esther any comments no, I think it's great, too, for, for Bennett to get exposure to as many people and as many perspectives as he can. Um, I, I believe in transparency and open communication, and, you know, I, I believe in having a conversation with those that get it as much as those that don't get it. Um, it's, it's really the, it's about the truth, and it's, it's about um, people taking, you know, not being on the fence really, and, and just saying, well, if you're, if you're not an ally and you don't, you know, you don't support the TRC, then, then say so, and say why, because that's a starting point for um, reconciliation. We can't have reconciliation without the truth, and we can't have the truth if everybody's just trying to be, be polite. <laughs> you know, we need, to, we need to really have those hard conversations. That's the only way that we're going to get to where we need to be, and this is, you know, this is not... For me, and I'm sure that everyone who has been involved in this to date has their own reasons, but for me, this is not just a job. This is not just a project. To me, this is, this is the survival of Wabanaki people, and our continued existence in a healthy, good way You know, depends on us being able to heal from all of this trauma and grief. We have so much grief from everything we've been through and everything we've survived. We also have a lot of strengths, and we have a lot to celebrate because we are still here. It's almost a miracle when you think about it. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I, I really believe that we have the power within us to turn this around and, and, and to um, all of, you know, we're, we have the highest rates of socioeconomic distress of any population in this country. Um, and we have the power to turn that around. We don't need to sit and wait for the state government or the federal government or missionaries or anybody to come in and save us. We, we can do this ourselves, but it's, it's, it's not easy. 
it's very difficult. Yeah, uh, Bennett, I, I'm kind of wondering, once you get this uh, this paper written and you present it, what do you think is going to happen uh, to the paper itself? What you know, what happens to it? Uh, well, we at the moment we're looking at publishing opportunities for it. Um, in which case, uh, if we do anything with publishing, we're approaching um, Esther, um, you know, Wabanaki Reach, and the TRC um, to collaborate on how number one how it's published and and to you know what they want published in it. Um, and so we're looking at, at that possibility. Um, the second thing is uh, we're planning at the moment a workshop at St. Andrews where we're gathering representatives from different TRCs in the Western Hemisphere. And um, as I've already told Esther that the, we're inviting a representative from the Wabanaki TRC um, slash Wabanaki Reach to come over and essentially represent at St. Andrews, um, and, you know, along with people that have worked at TRCs in Guatemala, Peru, and, and uh, the Greensboro TRC that happened in North Carolina. And so there are, there are a couple options right now on DAC. Um, but first we want to get to the research before we get in, <laughs> before we talk about publishing. Right. Uh, I, I just yeah. wanted to make sure, because a lot of times, you know, people will do their, their master's or you know, a big thesis, and then it'll just end up in somebody's wastebasket somewhere. No, that, so. that's not our intention at all. No. Okay. Well, um, I, I suppose you could call this an act of activism because uh, we're kind of, I'm putting a lot of research interests on hold, and uh, I know Siobhan and, and Ellie are too, um, because we're, we are committed to kind of promoting this process and so we're looking at ways different ways we can help 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 um everyone involved in in the trc do this and you know if maybe presenting at at the international studies association conference can maybe you know attract a few funders for them who knows um but we're, we are looking to collaborate as opposed to yeah, you know, and, and i do isolated. think that your your participation is really going to um make this process visible uh, on an international level. I think that's really important. Hopefully. No, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Esther, any comments? No, I'm just very grateful and excited um, to have Bennett and his team give this some attention and some focus. Um, Bennett, do you have... Um, Anything that you th would like to say that we haven't covered? Because um, a lot of times, you know, we'll have things all in our head that we're going to talk about, and we just don't yeah, get to them. Absolutely. Um, at the at the moment, I I I feel like I've kind of <laughs> you know spoken, kind of run my mouth off a bit about everything. Um, but you know, I coming to Maine tomorrow. I look forward to meeting with everyone. Um, obviously, if anyone uh, would, would like to be interviewed, um, I, I, I will be in Bangor, Maine for the, for the next six or seven days. Um, so I, I hope I can, I can get to as many people as possible. Um, that's, that's all I have left. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, one last thing, Esther, anything? I'm hoping to um, make Bennett some uh, Beskamogadi Domasis, some Passamaquoddy fry bread, and maybe he won't want to leave after he eats that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. little molasses with that, you know? Yeah. would be great. Okay, well, thank you both for, for being on the show, and uh, I appreciate your input, and uh, hope to see you, Bennett, tomorrow. Yeah, and, thank you. Hope to see and you, you too, too <laughs> Esther, at some point. Take All right. care. You too. All right. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Donna Loring, and you've been listening to Wabanaki Windows. The music for our show is by Ralph Richter, a track called Little Eagles, from his CD, Dreamwalk. I want to thank Esther Adian and our special guest from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, Bennett Collins, and our engineer, Amy Brown. Tune in again next month for another Wabanaki Windows.